The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and we're coming to you on Monday as the Giants turn the page from their disappointing week two loss to the Washington football team and begin to look ahead to uh, to Sunday's matchup with the Atlanta Falcons. And here to uh, to help me sort of break down the the state of your New York Giants two weeks into the season is Big Blue View contributor Nick Filato. Nick, thanks uh, thanks very very much for for jumping on. Ed, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be fun to talk some shop right now. Hey, so you know everybody can tell from the tone of of my writing, you know, lately the the column that I did on Sunday and the piece that I did, you know, the the things I think piece that I did post game Thursday night everybody i think can tell that that i'm frustrated at this point that it's eight times in nine seasons that the giants are 0 and 2 that for me um you know john mara talked about it's time to win some games and for me yeah, I, I love joe judge i think joe has a future has a, a tremendous future as a head coach but I'm tired of hearing about week to week improvement. I'm tired of hearing about we have to get better to earn the right to win games. You know, we 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 have to get better week to week because it's a long season and and that it's about improvement. The bottom line is for me, it's about winning games. I thought these first two weeks were incredibly important to this football team, you know, to maybe get off to a decent start to prove to the fan base perhaps that that finally this team was beginning to turn a corner. And I'm frustrated because I look at this as a huge missed opportunity. And here we are again hearing about, well, we need to improve and we need to get better and we need to go back to work and we'll be resilient and we'll continue to work hard. And I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of hearing it. 
I'm tired of hearing it as well, just because it hasn't translated to wins quite yet on the football field. But I don't know what else Joe Judge can really go out there and say to to other than taking accountability for these losses, make the fan base feel better. Because when you lose in that manner, in such a devastating manner to where you put your football team in a position to realistically win that game and no knock on the Washington football team, but they did a lot to lose that football game. Yet the Giants just couldn't get out of their own way. The defense, a defense that we expected to be, I would say better than the 2020 defense that superseded what the expectation was originally. I think it's just disappointed uh, gravely, to be honest. I mean, the zone coverage, the spatial awareness isn't there. The timing and rhythm of the offense has just, in both games, picked apart what the Giants were able to do on defense. And man coverage hasn't been that much better. And that's been the big improvement that a lot of us discussed going into this season was this defense's ability with the Dory Jackson to play man coverage. That hasn't necessarily materialized to success on the football field. It's been a regression it's been a regressed unit so far through two games, and there wasn't a lot of pressure. Patrick Graham didn't bring a lot of blitzing in this game, and ironically enough, the offense played a lot better than many of us expected, but the Giants still walk away with the loss. And I look at that Arizona Cardinals win against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings missed that field goal, and I just think, Ed, I'm just like, it's so unfortunate for the Vikings that the Cardinals didn't have a defensive lineman that aligned in the neutral zone. <laughs> Yeah, and Dexter Dexter can say what he wants, but the league says he was offside. And and if you watch, and I know you, uh, you know, you put together a, a gif of that particular play with Dexter Lawrence being offside, and Dexter Lawrence's body language tells you that he absolutely knows he was offside, because if you watch him on that play, he jumps. And then he stops. He tries to gather himself and stop. He doesn't just he doesn't just go forward and go ahead and plow into the offensive lineman. He jumps forward and then and then he tries to put the brakes on. So to me, I mean, he can say what he wants, but he was offside and the call was made and the Giants are 0-2. And, and here's here's what I think that's disappointing. It's not just being 0-2, to be honest with you. It's how the Giants got there. It's the fact for me that Joe Judge walked in the door talking about discipline. He's done so many things that have gotten attention from outside, making players run laps, restarting practices, you know, 10 minutes into practices because he wasn't happy with how they were going. Um, just the emphasis that he puts on on detail and fundamentals and situational football and, you know, coming from the Belichick Saban tree. And you watch these first two games, the Giants had three 15-yard personal foul penalties against the Broncos. They were They were not good situationally. They had 11 penalties against Washington. They, you know, they, they dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone, which physical mistakes are physical mistakes. They're going to happen. But I think you know, four of those penalties are false start penalties. Two of them came on special teams. The, the, thing, that, the thing that bothers me, 18 games into the Joe Judge era, 
is that a coach who places such high emphasis on fundamentals and discipline is coaching what thus far has been a really, really undisciplined football team. And I always wonder too, Ed, because it's a very solid point there. Is it a product of the Giants being a younger and more inexperienced football team that may lead to these mistakes? Because you know Joe Judge, as you just stated, really puts a high emphasis on attention to detail. And when you watch these football, this, these football games, this football team in particular, you you don't get that impression. You don't get that impression of a disciplined team who is mitigating mistakes to put themselves into positions to win football games that otherwise they may struggle to win. Instead, we see them lose football games that they should possibly win. I mean, this is a divisional opponent on the road. It's, it's a tough defense. And the Giants offense, like I said earlier, played better than many expected. But you're going up against a backup quarterback in Taylor Heineke. And Taylor Heineke ended up throwing what he completed 34 passes out of 46 for 336 yards and two touchdowns. And there was a, there was a drive in the fourth quarter, Ed, where he drove the football down the field in two plays and scored. I mean, this, this isn't Tom Brady out there. This is a, this is a journeyman quarterback who is what in his late twenties, two plays, 75 yards. That's, that's not a drive, Nick. That's a lightning strike. It, it literally, exactly. It was a lightning strike with JD McKissick aligned on Tay Crowder on an out and up. That is a mismatch. Tay Crowder is not known for his coverage. Taylor Heineke, credit to him. He identified it, hit JD McKissick, and he picked up 56 yards. And then that pass to Ricky Seals Jones. I mean, it looked like Heineke was just putting it high in an attempt and a prayer to allow Ricky Seals Jones to have an attempt at it. And Roy Jackson just couldn't get up there. He couldn't climb the ladder and credit to Ricky Seals Jones, but that's two plays there. And then on the ensuing drive, when the giants have the football, they're forced to punt. And then by the grace of God, uh, uh, James Bradbury ends up intercepting the football. I mean, if you were to tell me that at that point of the game, James Bradbury comes away with an interception and the giants don't end up winning that football game. I would love to see the next gen stats on the probability of winning that football game there. Well, here's, here's, here's the thing I think, you know, that we need to talk about when it comes to the Bradbury interception and it leads to something that I have been writing about and it, and it has to do with the handling of the fourth quarter and the lack of aggression, you know, by the giants in the fourth quarter. And, and I went back, and, and, you know, Chris Flum had actually pointed me to some statistics on uh, on fourth down uh, percentages in terms of win probability and things like that. And I went back and looked at some things going all the way back to last year. Joe Judge, surprisingly to me, as a young head coach, as a 38 year old rookie head coach who should really be a guy who really knows the analytics um excuse me, should be, you know, at the forefront of really understanding all of that stuff. Not that analytics is everything, but the analytics increasingly tell you that inside the opponent's 40-yard line, the proper thing to do more often than not is to try and get the first down. You know, whenever you're, whenever you're within a reasonable, you know, amount of, of yards of the first down. Increasingly, the analytics tell you that. And, and I think the Giants last year were near the bottom of the league in terms of how often they actually went for first downs on fourth down. And again, I thought on Thursday, 
and, and I've been pretty clear on this in my writing at Big Blue View, I thought that the Giants were were very, very passive in their approach, not only in the Brad, after the Bradbury interception. I mean, in terms of that play, first of all, I mean, I don't have a problem necessarily with ending up with the field goal because the field goal did put the Giants in the lead. Here, the problem that I have, and this is why I think Kenny Galladay was screaming at people on the sideline, is you just paid Kenny Galladay $40 million guaranteed, $72 million over the last four years, to come in and make plays in that situation. Why are we why is Joe Judge not leaning into the headset and telling Jason Garrett, let's be aggressive here, let's take a shot, let's let's throw the ball to Galladay up in the end zone and see if he can make the play that we're paying him to make and get a touchdown that puts Washington in a situation where they have to get a touchdown to win. To me, sure, take the field goal if you take one shot into the end zone and it doesn't work. Don't just play for the field goal. And I mean, that's the problem that I have in that scenario. Yeah, it's it's passive, certainly. And to touch on the Joe Judge going back to last year, it seemed like that Cleveland game was the one game where he showed a little bit of aggression when Jason Garrett was not there on fourth down, which was on Monday night football, didn't end up getting the win there, obviously. But in this game, down the stretch, a lot of passiveness. And then even after the James Bradbury interception, when you get that second chance to score a touchdown, they come out with two consecutive counter GH counter run plays and just flip the play. It was the same exact play just flipped on first and second down. And it was easily sniffed out by this Washington football team defense. If you look at the formation, it's just the same formation that's flipped the same run action. It's just that counter play that they ran so often in 2020. And then that put them in the situation to be in a third down in what seven where they tried to hit Sterling Shepard on an in-breaking route and it just wasn't completed. The ball was a little bit behind him. But why even, I understand why you want to run the football there, Ed, to try and force Washington to call their timeouts, but the same exact run play twice, just flipping the formation. I mean, that's just very easily diagnosable by this Washington defense. I don't particularly blame Jason Garrett at all in that situation, because for me, Whatever the play call is, for me, that's a situation where the head coach decides we're playing this conservatively or we're taking a shot here. And and the offensive coordinator then calls, you know, calls whatever the plays are going to be accordingly. So for me, that's a Joe Judge decision. And, you know, I also talked about there were two other fourth down situations where the Giants settled for field goals by Graham Gano, 52 and 55 yards. And yes, you want points there. Yeah, I get it that, you know, but in the fourth, as a fourth quarter of a game unfolds, for me, extending a lead from three points to six points doesn't really do you all that much good because it's still a one score game. If you're you're fourth and 3 on the 34 or fourth and 3 or 4 on about the 37, to me at least in one of those situations, especially maybe in the last one where they went for the 55-yard field goal that Gano made, why not go for that? 
Why not try for the first down? It's not going to kill you if you don't make it. And if you do get, if you do convert it, you A, have the opportunity to go down and score and make it a two-score game, and B, you're taking more time off the clock. So I just, I didn't understand the, to me, the, the passive approach there at all, because it, it just, you know, take the bull by the horns, be aggressive, go try to win the game. My one pushback on that was that was the same drive where the Giants had two consecutive false starts to put them in the third and 15. And credit to Daniel Jones to pick up 11 yards with his legs. But the fact that the offense already had the jitters, I mean, I think the Giants are lucky enough to even get themselves into field goal range in that situation. And I get it. It only put you up by put you up by uh, another three points because it was 23 to 20 before that play. But that offense, man, I mean, you can't make those types of devastating. And that wasn't the only time in the game Ed, that, that they were undisciplined and took a false start penalty or came out of a timeout and didn't know where to align. I mean, those are inexcusable no, coaching mistakes. That was in the first quarter that happened when they were up seven and they got down, I think, to Washington's 27-yard line. They end up taking a timeout to avoid to avoid a delay of game penalty because they didn't know how to line up. Then they come out of the timeout. They still don't know how to line up. The clock hits zero, and Andrew Thomas gets called for a false start, which if he doesn't false start, they're going to get called for delay of game anyway. So it really didn't, you know, so whichever penalty got called, they were going to get called anyway. And and that's that's just ridiculous to come out of a timeout where you set up a play and, and not know how to line your team up. And the very next play, Daniel Jones was sacked. It's like you you put yourself into those disadvantageous situations when you make bad mistakes. And young teams, undisciplined teams, they, they will end up losing football games by something as simple as a false start penalty that knocks you out of field goal range. And I mean, there, I don't even want to blame C.J. Board on that, on the touchdown nullifying holding penalty, because to me, that one, it, it, that was a really ticky tacky call, if I'm going to be honest. Credit to Daniel Jones to actually scamper for 58 yards and a touchdown against this defense. But that was another, uh, I guess you could say, penalty that that took away four points from the Giants. Although I I don't really want to blame Board for that specific one because, I mean, you see that block a lot, Ed. You really do. And mm-hmm. it was flagged on, on this one, unfortunately. All right. So let's let's spin forward. You've got the Atlanta Falcons coming in. Atlanta's given up 80 points over two games. I think this is the only week three matchup between two 0-2 football teams. I mean, this this has to be the week where the Giants get into the win column and, and finally, you know, maybe start to turn turn this thing around and, and play a little better football and get started. But when you look at what the Giants have done through two games, let's talk specifically about the offense. Coming out of Thursday, statistically, and what we saw on Thursday, there actually are, you know, some some encouraging signs from this offense. Mark Schofield did a breakdown, you know, for for Big Blue View that that appeared uh, that that posted just a little bit earlier on Monday afternoon, and he said, you know, the, the Giants are actually really close to being a good offense, which people are going to find hard to believe, but 
coming out of Thursday, I thought there were some signs of some good things. There absolutely was. Daniel Jones in particular. I mean, Jones, his ball placement wasn't perfect on some throws. They were a little bit behind or a little bit ahead. I even think the Darius Slayton drop, you could say it could have been a better throw, similar to the Evan Ingram drop last year, but it's still inexcusable for a receiver to drop the football in those situations. But I thought Daniel Jones got through his progressions quickly. He recognized things pre-snap, diagnosed it post-snap, and then attacked and confirmed what he believed in the pre-snap phase of the play. I thought he took uh, steps forward in that area, which is definitely a, I would say, a point of contention for me in terms of Daniel Jones. How good can he be in that situation from a processing standpoint? I thought he showed that against a good defense in Washington. I mean, just the touchdown to Darius Slayton, he recognized the coverage, saw cover one pre-snap, diagnosed it post-snap, held the safety to the right of the field, hit his back foot, snapped his hips, his shoulders, and his head over to towards Darius Slayton's side and put the ball into a very catchable spot where Slayton secured it for the touchdown. That's a very nice play by Daniel Jones, and he keeps showing that. And the fact that Jason Garrett was not shy to utilize Daniel Jones' athletic ability, I think, is a very encouraging sign for this Giants offense. They were running RPOs, and Jones was making good decisions on the majority of those RPO plays, the run-pass option where he would put the ball into the belly of Saquon Barkley. He would read that safety coming down. If the safety bit too far down into the B-gap, he would fire it over his head to Kenny Galladay on those skinny slants. I hope to see a little bit more of that. And then that zone read game, that should open up our rushing attack, the Giants' rushing attack. I mean, when you get the zone read coming, that backside pursuit defender is not going to be able to crash if you have someone as athletic as Daniel Jones who can just take it and run 60 yards, which we have seen, run 80 yards like we saw last year when he was tackled by Philadelphia Stadium. So I think all of those lead me to believe that this offense could be in the right direction, but I'm still concerned about this offensive line. That's where, especially after you lose Nick Gates, I still have concern there. Billy Price didn't look great in the first game. This is a tough assignment, so I want to give the crit. Uh, give the kid his break. I thought Ben Bredesen hasn't looked in, overly encouraging in his first two games either. And you're down Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates. That's not great. You have Nate Solder starting. That is not something that a lot of Giants fans uh, anticipated. And if something were to ever happen to any of these other offensive linemen, there, there could be a dire situation. As of right now, I would still say it's a marginal offensive line that, that, um, probably played better than I expected against Washington's front, but still this is um, that's, that's the one thing that makes me feel that this offense may not be able to, to take fully take that next step, especially if they can't get the rushing attack going with Saquon Barkley, which they really haven't, you know, outside of that 41 yard run, which was a really nice read by Saquon Barkley and a really nice block by Caden Smith to take away the defender who was about to tackle him in the backfield. I want to make one comment about Daniel Jones and, and then talk a little bit more about the offensive line. You know, I looked at, I, I don't always appreciate the way that pro football focus grades quarterback play. I think that, that their system oftentimes just doesn't really reflect quarterback play really well. But I think I almost fell down this morning when I looked at, at pro football Focus's quarterback grades. They have Jones ranked as the number six quarterback in the league overall after two weeks. And in terms of pure passing grade, not passer rating, not QBR, not any, you know, not any of that in terms of pure, you know, based on whatever it is, a hundred points or whatever their grading system is based on. 
They have Daniel Jones ranked as the number two passer in the NFL behind Tom Brady. Tom Brady, and when I saw that, I almost fell down. I think the reason for that is because Daniel Jones hasn't thrown an interception yet. They really take that heavily into account, which you should. But at the same time, there are a lot of interceptions that aren't really on the quarterback. I mean, tip passes, they're tip passes, but sometimes receivers just knock the ball in the air and it ends up getting intercepted. And I'm not speaking down on Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones has played well through two games, but I don't really know the algorithm for PFF, but I'm pretty sure that's probably a a big reason as to why Daniel Jones is ranked so high. Good for Daniel Jones not turning the football over with his arm, just needs to hold on that football when he's on the ground, Ed. Yeah, it's a small sample size. It just, it, it, it's just I, I wasn't sure I was expecting to see that. In terms of the offensive line, Nick, I have I have a couple of thoughts. Andrew Thomas has to this point, he wasn't perfect against Washington, but Andrew Thomas to this point has been much better. You know, much of most of the the analytics, most of the the grades, most of those things will tell you that at this point. He's a top half of the NFL tackle, maybe a top third of the NFL tackle. And coming from where he came from, I think people would be or people should be really pleased with that through two games. Nate Solder had had one, you know, God awful rep against Von Miller and the Denver Broncos in week one. But through two weeks and again, small sample size doesn't prove a heck of a lot. Nate Solder's grades, Nate Solder's pressures allowed, all of those kinds of things are pretty much right on his career numbers. He's an average NFL tackle, pretty much always has been. He's paid like an elite one or was you know, originally paid by the Giants as an elite one, but he's an average tackle, still looks to be that way. To me, I think, you know, Ben Bredesen hasn't been perfect. Um, I don't know what's what Shane Lemieux's status is going to be. I don't know if he's going to be back, you know, later on this season. I would hope so. Uh, Will Hernandez, I think, is going to be okay for me. You know, with with Nick Gates down, as you said, you know, Gates down, Lemieux down. There's not a lot of depth there. It the Giants made it obvious against Washington that they are down on. Matt Pert because Matt Pert did not play a single snap. But for me, the issue for the New York Giants on this offensive line right now, I think they're okay if they can A, stay healthy from where they are right now, and and that's fingers crossed, and B, figure out this center position. Billy Price's grades, Billy Price had a really difficult game against Washington, although I thought the offensive line got better throughout the game. But if his performance doesn't get better, I think I think you'll have to start to see Matt Skura, you know, play some some time at center. And for me, for me, that's the position right now that I'm really worried about. I think the rest of the offensive line injuries or not to me the rest of the offensive line is at least trending in the right direction I would say they're trending in the right direction and some of that is a product of what Jason Garrett was doing with his scheme there were a lot of plays where Caden Smith or Kyle Rudolph were 
task to chip block Montez Sweat and Chase Young to help out mostly Nate Solder, but Andrew Thomas as well. I thought Andrew Thomas played well in this game holding up. I mean, he just looks more confident with his set and with his kick slide and how he uses his hands and his feet in conjunction with each other. His anchor is good. He's protecting his outside shoulder and his inside shoulder well. So I'm I'm impressed with Andrew Thomas. Nate Solder, not as much. I do believe the the chipping of the running backs and the tight ends definitely helped him, but this is the situation the Giants are in. Matt Parrott did not progress as they expected, which is incredibly unfortunate. And I would agree with the the concern of the center position, but I would encourage listeners to go check out Big Blue View and see the the film study I did on Billy Price. Some of those pressures, it seemed like it was a miscommunication between him and Will Hernandez or just a protection in general where Billy Price believed that he was going to have guard help and then it did not end up materializing. And then he would kind of influence the nose tackle in one direction where there was no one there allowing him to run straight at Daniel Jones in the pocket. If that's the case, then I think that's correctable. And it's something that can kind of come with time. If it's from a uh, lack of understanding of the protection due to the fact that he's a little bit newer on the team, but there's still issues with him getting his hands inside and establishing contact. I mean, he's like in the first percentile for, for arm length. He does not have long arms for an offensive lineman. I believe they're 32 inches. And that, that could be a physical problem and a physical limitation that he has to overcome. I think as of right now, Billy Price is probably your best option, but I would agree if, if he continues to kind of get beat off the snap quickly and continues to possibly have these mental lapses. Cause again, I'm not hundred percent certain if that was the case, then we may have to look at Matt Skura and that's not a great situation either. Ed, cause this is somebody who was available for a reason, but this is on the giants. They had coaching hubris here Ed. they believed they could develop these young players and, and put them into a position to succeed. And yes, Zach Fulton retired, Joe Looney retired, Shane Lemieux is injured. And now you lost Nick Gates, but still this, this offensive line, does not have the depth that many people believe it should have coming out of that draft. I mean, we just watched Trey Smith start for the chiefs on a prime time game. And he was a six round pick because of his medical issues. And I get Jeremy Pruitt is on the staff and he coached Trey Smith, but there were chances for the giants to invest some assets into the interior offensive line. It just didn't seem like uh, it just seemed like they were very confident in what they had currently. And it, that's not necessarily something that I believe a lot of giants fans agree with. Yeah, I do think there was probably an opportunity there, you know, in the draft for them to to add at least one player. And Trey Smith is obviously the one that people are going to continue to come back to. Um, but, you know, but again, I think the thing about it is the, the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, you know, are a team, you know, they're, they're a Super Bowl caliber team. And it's the Chiefs that can take a chance on a player like that because they've got a really quality team to begin with. And it's not it's a sixth round pick. It's not going to kill them if it doesn't pan out. It wouldn't have killed the Giants either. But, you know, but I understand the reality is 31 other teams passed on Trey Smith as well. I don't think you can absolutely kill the Giants for that. But, yeah, at some point in the draft, one of those picks, maybe the third round pick, maybe the fourth round pick, one of those sixth round picks should have been an interior offensive lineman. And now you're right. They're paying for that. But I did want to say one other thing uh, 
that you had mentioned in regards to um, to helping out Andrew Thomas and helping out Nate Solder. You know, my take on that is the more of that that I see, the happier it's going to make me. Because to be honest with you, how many years have we seen people scream? I mean, going all the way back to the Kevin Gilbride era. Why don't they help the tackles? Why don't they help the right tackle? Why don't they help, you know, why don't they help Eric Flowers? Why don't, why do they just leave them out on an island and, and, and let them go? If they want to chip block, and I know it takes a, a half a second or whatever off the running back's route or, or whatever, but first and foremost, your quarterback's got to be upright to be able to find somebody. So if if they're willing to offer that kind of help and, and they're willing to scheme that kind of help, then I'm all for it. The other thing that you mentioned was, you know, if if some of the issues in the interior offensive line are communication related uh, between Billy Price and Will Hernandez or Billy Price and Ben Bredesen, then I think that's to be expected at this point and should get better. But, but in terms of the chip blocks and all that, um, you know, I'm a hundred percent fine with that. As am I, I hope to see more of it, to be honest. And the giants came out there using Caden Smith, Kyle Rudolph. You saw Chris Myrick out there as well, who played seven snaps and he was tasked to block on a couple play action shots. The giants wanted to run with seven man protections sometimes eight man protections with the chip and then the tight end would leak out into the flat. So, and when you do that too, when you chip block, sometimes those linebackers and those underneath defenders believe that that tight end is staying into block and then he can just release. And there's going to be more depth between him and the covering defender, providing more space for that tight end to catch the football and operate in space. So I think that's another kind of way to gain an advantage in the short parts of the field. For Jason Garrett, I just hope we continue to see that specifically on Nate Solder's side because I'm not, I'm just not fully confident in what Nate Solder can do through 17 games of an NFL season as a 33 year old tackle right now who missed oh. an entire year of play. Oh, I, I hear you, I hear you, and and that obviously is a concern because Nate Solder starting was was definitely not the plan, and the fact that he is starting is an issue because it means that the Giants have to go back into the draft next year and probably draft a tackle very early in the draft. So, um, you know, so I, I would probably look for that. And and those of you who are, are draft Knicks like Nick and like Chris Flum, you know, of, of Big Blue V, you probably already have your eyes on some of those tackles. But, you know, for everybody else, I, I would go start studying offensive linemen if I were you because the Giants will be back in that market again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nick, what I want to do is what I want to do is talk about the defense a little bit. And it comes down to this. This was supposed to be the backbone of this team. It was supposed to be the one thing that people could count on. It was a, a unit that finished ninth or tenth in points and yards, you know, allowed a year ago. Added Aziz Ojalari, added Dory Jackson, has a healthy Xavier McKinney back. 
lost Dalvin Tomlinson, but the run defense has not been the issue. The issue has been the pass coverage. The issue has mostly been the middle of the field is wide open play after play after play after play. And when the Giants go man to man, which is the reason why they signed a Dory Jackson, they're not getting the job done. So it comes down to this simply, you know, because you have a better scout's eye than I do and a, and a better ability to, to look at the film and break these things down. What in the devil is going on with the Giants pass coverage? I feel like the Giants pass coverage right now is just out of sync. And both of these offenses they faced just use timing and understanding on where those routes were going to be between the zone coverage that the Giants run. And then just basically using timing and rhythm to take advantage of a zone coverage, mainly up the seams and in the intermediate parts of the of the Giants defense. If I feel like both of those offenses knew what the Giants were going to do on some of these big plays, the Giants were running inverted cover two without the robber, which is something we saw last year with the robber, which is when the Giants align in a single high defense and then drop and then sorry, I got a phone call and then drop the drop that single high safety down uh, into a robber position which is how the Giants beat Washington when Alex Smith was the quarterback because he didn't see Logan Ryan drop down there. And then you drop both corners to dig cap responsibilities. Well, now they're not dropping the safety down. Rather, they are rotating the field corner up into a deep half responsibility while the safety takes another deep half and just kind of rotates towards that direction. And that leads a gigantic space to the field for Darnay Holmes. And it's typically a Dory Jackson to cover. And I feel like Teddy Bridgewater did an excellent job in the fourth quarter, recognize, or third and fourth quarter, recognizing that. And then Taylor Heineke also hit a couple big plays against that specific coverage. So that coverage has vulnerabilities. Everybody knows those vulnerabilities, but it also provides a lot more coverage towards the non-vulnerable parts. But since quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators are tracking on that right now, I, I think the Giants need to kind of change things up in terms of that cover. Other than that, they're running cover six. They're running their three deep types of coverage. It just seems like the offense is getting between the zones and the spatial awareness of the Giants isn't quite there. Now, I will say James Bradbury didn't have the best game against Terry McLaurin, but James Bradbury knew what Washington was doing there because they showed that play a couple times where Terry McLaurin just kind of runs, runs around take crowd of the linebacker who's shooting to the flat to cover his assignment. And Bradbury baited that and Bradbury got that interception. I think that's encouraging. And there were plenty of plays in that game where Bradbury was all over McLaurin. It just seemed like McLaurin got the best of him whenever whenever Washington really targeted him as the primary read. McLaurin's a very talented receiver. I'm not necessarily overly worried about James Bradbury, but I am worried about this Giants defense's inability to generate pressure with four-man pass rushes, and they didn't really bring five all that often against against this Washington team with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, which was a little bit confusing to me because we saw them pressure Teddy Bridgewater. It didn't necessarily work, but I felt like if they dialed up the pressure maybe a little bit more against Taylor Heineke, they would have had a little bit more success slowing down his ability to find those to find Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin and Diami Brown in the intermediate parts of the field. All right. You know, it's, we're heading into week three. We're heading into a game against the Atlanta Falcons team. As, as I said, at the top of the show, that's given up 80 points over two games. When you look at it, we know the statistics of Owen two teams 
you know, making the playoffs. And I know it's a 17 game season, so it changes a little bit. Perhaps it's a, the season's a game longer, but when you start Owen two, your playoff chances dramatically decrease. Now you're in the NFC East where nobody else is, is better than one and one at this point. So it's not necessarily devastating, but you know, teams go through two game losing streaks during the course of a season. I think that what this does for the Giants is it dramatically decreases their margin for error the rest of the way. But what I want to ask you is, are you still optimistic when you look at this Giants team, you know, that when it's all said and done, when they play 15 more games, when we get to the first week in January, you know, whether it's playoffs or not, um, we're going to look at this Giants team and say, yeah, they did make strides from 2020. Yeah, they are pointed in the right direction. They are getting better. Or are you just at this point, you know, ready to throw up your hands and say, uh, here we go again. It's just going to be another long, painful year. I'm in between those two. I mean, I don't necessarily believe the Giants are going to make the playoffs because it seems like Philadelphia is much better than I originally anticipated. And Dallas is as good as I thought they were going to be. And then Washington, I mean, they just defeated the Giants, but they have Taylor Heineke for, you know, 17 games. It seems like, I mean, I'm not hundred percent certain when Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to return to that team. So the division is stronger than I originally anticipated. As for the Giants, I think a lot of this is, is, it, it lies in week three because you're playing another 0-2 team. Like you said earlier, this is the only battle between two 0-2 teams. And the Falcons are a very winnable game. This is at home. They're not a great defense. They've been giving up so many, so much yardage to opposing offenses in the limited season so far. And I believe their offensive line is also not nearly as good as Washington's offensive line. Tip of the cap to them for containing Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So I think the Giants come out, win this game. It will be a feel-good type of situation. It's definitely something that can happen. And then maybe the, the boo birds of the New York Giants media won't be as loud. Now, if they go out and they lose this game and it's a stinker, I think that there could be locker room issues. They're, 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 and that's just something I don't really want to dive down into. And I think if this Giants team ends up winning five to six games, Dave Gettleman is going to retire and then they're going to be on the hunt for a new general manager. And that throws Daniel Jones's future with this team into question. And it could be just a really, really ugly ending to the 2021 season and, and the Daniel Jones era here because the Giants have to make that decision to pick up his fifth year option next season. They're going to have him under contract next season, no matter what anyways. But I would say a lot of it probably lies with week three. I'm taking it a week at a time. I don't want to overreact, but I, I do believe this, uh, this Giants team has shown signs of progress, even though they, these were both devastating losses, specifically on the offensive side of the ball last week. They need to fix this defense. It doesn't have to be the 2020 Giants defense, but it has to be better than what we've seen through these last two games. Yeah, so much of what you're talking about here, Nick, is why I so much wanted to see a better start to the 2021 season. There's so many negative narratives around the Giants for so long, um, even through you know through this training camp where you know, where people wanted to be optimistic, where we had been told, you know, it was time to start winning games, all of those things where the Giants felt like they were in a position to start winning games. And, and I felt like it was really, really important 
for the Giants to, if nothing else, buy themselves some time, change some of those narratives, at least for the time being, and give the fan base something in the first five days of the season to to feel good about, to feel optimistic about. Instead, you get five days into the season, it's 0-2 again, and here we go. Exactly. Oh, and two again and all the all the narratives. And there's a lot of them. Jason Garrett narrative, the offensive line narrative, the Daniel Jones narrative. And the one narrative that nobody was talking about was the fact that this Giants defense could regress. And it seems like they are regressing, despite the fact that knocking on wood, they haven't dealt with any injuries. It's just defenses do this from year to year. There's just regression. Uh, when in terms of ability to generate pressure, in terms of ability to take the football away, all those things typically regress, and we're seeing that happen so far. So they get an extended week, Ed, to, to try and figure this out. I really trust this defensive coaching staff with Patrick Graham, and I think they're going to come out with a different type of approach and game plan against Atlanta, and, and I hope to see that because Atlanta is a very winnable game. The Giants cannot lose that football game if they want any hope in doing anything this season. All right, Nick, thank you very, very much. And folks, please remember to check out Big Blue View. We've got film studies today from Nick on on Billy Price. We've got a film study on Daniel Jones in the offense. We'll have a whole lot more in terms of offense versus defense breakdowns this week of Giants versus Atlanta. We'll have all of your injury news, all of your uh, interviews, anything going on with the Giants this week leading up to the Atlanta game. We'll have it for you. So, uh, Nick, thank you very, very much. Giants fans, as always, please remember to uh, take care of each other, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.